Hi, I'm Willow Belden, and you're listening to Out There, the podcast that explores big questions through intimate stories outdoors. To start things off, we have a little treat for you to wrap up 2019. A few weeks ago, I asked our team members what they listened to this year that really resonated with them. I wanted to hear about specific episodes of specific shows that were truly mind-blowing. Episodes they couldn't stop thinking about. Stories that gave them goosebumps in the best sort of way. I put together a list of all their recommendations, plus one of my personal favorites as well. To see it, just head over to outtherepodcast.com and click on our blog. And now, on to our story for today. It's almost New Year's, which, if you're anything like me, means you're probably spending some time soul-searching. Maybe you're setting goals for yourself. Maybe you're thinking of ways you could improve your life. Maybe you're re-evaluating the way you move through the world. Today's story is about fledging the metaphorical nest. It's about childhood dreams and what happens when real life gets in the way of those dreams. And it's about redefining who you are and what your life looks like. Our storyteller is someone you've heard from before on this show. Her name is Becky Jensen, and you might remember her previous stories about hiking the Colorado Trail. She's back now with a new chapter in her story. But this time, instead of running away from home into the mountains, she's on a quest to make the mountains her permanent home. Her story takes us on an 18-year journey from life-threatening pregnancy to new motherhood, from marriage to divorce, from centering her life around kids to taking hold of her own individuality. I'll let Becky take it from here. The ultrasound technician walked into the exam room where I lay on the table. She grumbled a half-hearted greeting, sat down on her stool, and rolled across the floor to the equipment by my side. Hiking up my maternity shirt, just enough to expose my pregnant belly, she proceeded to shake and squirt the cold, lubricating goop onto my bare skin. She moved the ultrasound wand across my stomach in a single pass, took a quick look at the grainy monitor, and heaved a sigh. Tiny arms and legs fluttered inside of me as I thought, something weird is happening. Well, you know you're having twins, right? She said flatly. No. We did not know we were having twins. My husband shot out of his chair like he was hit with a 10,000-volt cattle prod. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, he chanted as he pinballed around the tiny room trying to absorb the news. In contrast, I was frozen on the table, tears streaming down my cheeks as I looked at my swollen belly with fresh eyes, like it was full of magic. The ultrasound tech thrust a box of tissues at my face and said, Here, 
We better get started. Now I have two measurements to take. I could have kissed that old sourpuss. The day I found out I was pregnant with twin boys was one of the best days of my life. It was also intense. Intense is a word I would use time and again to describe my life as a mother of twins. For starters, I had an intense pregnancy, which, by the way, was my first and would be my last pregnancy. I went into preterm labor and was on strict bed rest for three months. The medicine they prescribed made me feel like I drank 10 cups of coffee and then caught the flu. It caused pulmonary edema, where my lungs filled with fluid. For three months, I was trapped on the couch or in a bed, hands shaking, wanting to vomit, unable to breathe. The birth was also intense. I was rushed to the hospital with high blood pressure, blurry vision, and a failing liver. It's called preeclampsia, a condition that can lead to seizures and death, and the only cure was to deliver my babies. I was given a drug to trigger my labor, another drug to lower my blood pressure, and yet another to help mature my baby's tiny lungs. At one point, all three of our heartbeats crashed and everything went black. The nurse hit the code blue button on the wall. When I came to, I was surrounded by an anxious team of doctors and nurses. My young husband pushed off to the side, worried hands on his head, tears in his eyes. But I rallied, and we made it to the operating room, where I labored to push out Jake, my first baby. The doctor placed him on my chest, and at the sound of my voice, Jake stopped crying and opened his eyes. As I stared into his somehow familiar face, I nearly forgot that I had to do it all over again. After an hour, exhausted, I delivered Dane, my second baby. But he struggled to breathe, and I watched helplessly as they rubbed his tiny back and rushed him away to the neonatal intensive care unit. I didn't even get to hold him. Amazingly, Overnight, Dane grew strong enough to join his brother in a shared bassinet. Deeply relieved, both physically and emotionally, I also started to recover. And a few days later, we drove home from the hospital. Once home, life stayed intense. 
Imagine being a sleep-deprived new mother sitting on a bed, propped up by a mountain of pillows, nursing two babies at the same time in what is called the football hold. You can't do anything else. You can't get a drink of water. You can't walk around. You can't answer the phone. Now imagine doing this every hour. Double nursing was only the beginning. Double diapers, double teething, double fevers, double vomit. How do you do it? People would ask in sympathetic exhaustion as I pushed my babies in their double-wide stroller through the grocery store. I guess it's all I know, I'd reply, reaching for a two-for-one deal on diaper wipes or baby food. To be clear, I also know there are plenty of parents who have more kids and more challenges than I could ever imagine. It's just that as a mom of twins, every developmental step was not only brand new and completely unfamiliar, it was intensified by a factor of two. I had no past experience from an older child to draw from that I could apply to the next. I also had to savor sweet baby stages while they lasted, because once they were gone, they were gone. I often felt a kinship with parents of an only child because they experienced milestones for the first and last time every time. This was not the parenting roadmap I had seen growing up. We had no twins in my family. It mattered so much to me to be a good mom, to do this right, and I had no idea what right looked like. Overwhelmed as I was, I added an extra chore to my parenting to-do list. I wanted the world to treat Jake and Dane as two individuals rather than a singular package deal. Although they shared the same birthday, every year I bake them each their own cake. And every year at 7.22 a.m. on that shared day in May, I would ring an obnoxious cowbell and sing happy birthday to Jake. Then at 8.15 a.m., I would shake that same horrible cowbell and sing for Dane. I see you, the cowbell would ring out. You came into the world on this day at this exact time, and there is no one else like you on the planet. You are separate and precious, a fighter and a miracle. But in my drive to ensure the world viewed each of my sons independently, I let go of my own sense of an independent self. I was grateful to be a stay-at-home mom, but that became my entire identity. No longer working, I stopped planning for my future. And as dreams for my children grew, dreams from my own childhood began to fade. When I was in second grade, I wanted to be a writer and publish my stories. 
and I wanted to live in a cozy log cabin like Laura Ingalls in the Little House books. I pictured myself tucked into the trundle bed, listening to Pa Ingalls play a lullaby on his fiddle as Ma sat in the rocker, knitting by the soft glow of firelight. But as a mother raising babies in a crowded city, my childhood dream felt absurd. You are as close to becoming a writer in a cabin as you are to living in a space colony on Mars, I told myself, as I put the little house books on a shelf. I was focused on my boys, their activities and achievements, their schedules, their lives. As Jake and Dane grew, sadly, their dad and I grew apart, and we ended our marriage in divorce. We didn't want our boys to live out of a suitcase, but that's what happened anyway. I think back to those first weekends and then whole weeks when they were living away from me. The house felt empty, and I felt lost. When they returned, I felt restored. And we managed like this. The weeks when they were with me, I fed them as much quality time and comfort food as they could hold. And the weeks I didn't have them were spent preparing for their return. By now I was 40 years old and had taken a desk job. I needed the benefits and steady paycheck. As a responsible single mom, I could not afford to daydream. I had a mortgage and bills to pay and two little boys who were counting on me. For three years, I trapped myself in a dark cubicle, writing government proposals day after day after day. What was my dream again? I hardly remembered. The stress of that desk job nearly broke me, and the misery made me desperate enough to hatch an escape plan. At night, when the boys were asleep, I would put pen to paper, sketching budget scenarios and carefully timed next steps. With no spouse and second income as a safety net, every career change, every move I made, had to make financial sense. I was in survival mode. I had to make it out of that cubicle sooner rather than later, so I began to prepare. First, I sold my larger house and bought a modest condo to reduce our living expenses. The boys were uneasy about the change, but they supported me. I sobbed as I packed the truck and drove away from the home we had loved for six years. But as my tears subsided, I started to see the way forward. While unpacking a box of books, a yellow paperback resurfaced on the top of a stack. It was Little House in the Big Woods. I smiled and held it for a moment, bowing to read it again at some point. 
In the meantime, I quit my job to become a freelance copywriter, living off small projects and my tiny savings while I slowly built my own business. Writing ad copy in a condo wasn't my dream, but I was taking first steps in the right direction. And these changes gave me the flexibility to spend more time with Jake and Dane, hike mountain trails I craved, and start writing a book. But as business started to pick up, I lost myself again, this time in the client's work and writing stories in their voice. I abandoned my unfinished story. Hey, it's Willow. Becky's story continues in just a moment. But first, I have two things to tell you about. Let's face it, the holidays can be a stressful time, even if we're having fun and are surrounded by the people we love. There's just a lot going on and a lot to think about, and sometimes it all feels like too much. If you need a little help getting your mojo back, consider checking out BetterHelp. BetterHelp is an online counseling service, and they're one of our sponsors for this episode. They have thousands of licensed therapists who specialize in everything from depression and anxiety, to grief and trauma, to LGBT matters and family conflicts. Wherever you are in the world, you can get connected with a therapist in under 24 hours. And if you're not happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, professional, and affordable. There's even financial aid available for those who qualify. Right now, they have a special offer for out there listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of counseling with the discount code OUTTHERE. Just go to betterhelp.com slash outthere to sign up. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash outthere. Have you ever thought about eating bugs? As in insects? Yeah, I know. For many of us, it sounds kind of gross. But in some parts of the world, insects are actually a staple in the local cuisine. And there's a company that's trying to bring that practice here to the U.S. The company is called ExoProtein. They're one of our sponsors for this episode, and they make power bars and other snacks using cricket protein. Turns out crickets are very nutritious, and they have a low ecological footprint. In other words, by eating crickets, you get the nutritional benefits of meat with the environmental footprint of plants. And as for the ick factor? I really like to use the example of sushi. That's Mohammed Ashour. He's the CEO of EXO. If you thought 25 years ago that eating raw fish would be a mainstream activity in America, you would have been considered a lunatic. And yet now sushi is seen as a delicacy, something many of us crave. Muhammad says eating crickets is kind of like that. We just have to move past this idea that bugs are gross and realize that some insects can actually be very tasty. For 15% off your order at exoprotein.com, enter the promo code OUTTHERE at checkout. That's exoprotein.com, promo code OUTTHERE. And now, back to the story. (music) 
In the blink of an eye, my boys were seniors in high school, towering above me in height. I knew they would be leaving for college soon, but I didn't know what my next step would be exactly. I always encouraged them to go after their dreams and explore their curiosity, and I felt fiercely proud they were doing just that. One heading south to Denver to study film, one going north to Montana to study paleontology. How's your book coming along, Mama? Jake asked one day. Embarrassed, I stammered, well, it isn't. And his simple question made me ask myself, why? Why do I tell each of my sons to follow their dreams and tell myself the opposite? So before they left home, I started to practice seeing myself as an individual apart from them, to try on this new identity other than mother. I sometimes traveled without them, often into the Colorado mountains. As I hiked each trail, I thought about what I wanted to do as a writer and how and where I wanted to live. Nature has a way of helping us make sense out of our lives. And with each step, I began to outline my next chapter as an empty nester. With each successful summit, that dream of living in a cabin didn't seem so far-fetched anymore. As Jake and Dane were online selecting their college dorm rooms, I went online to find a house just for me, that little cabin in the woods by a river where I could write. At first, it seemed surreal, working with realtors to check out mountain properties for sale, learning about septic systems and well pumps, each step new and unfamiliar. The more cabins I toured, the more it started to become real. And when I asked the boys to weigh in on different properties, Jake finally said, This is your place, Mama. Don't buy this for us. You need to buy it for you. Still, it all felt pretty intense. As Jake and Dane typed their final senior papers, I signed loan documents and real estate contracts. And after we scheduled their graduation party, I scheduled a closing date on my new house. We spent the summer downsizing our current home, dividing everything into three piles and preparing for three moves that would take us hundreds of miles away from each other. I ended up buying a 600-square-foot cabin, the former bunkhouse on an old cattle ranch in a Colorado canyon I have loved since childhood. From my writing desk, I watch hummingbirds dive-bomb the feeder, chipmunks dash around the woodpile, and bighorn sheep scale the rocky outcroppings. 
the ancient and wild river that has cut through these steep canyon walls reminds me of the strength and forward momentum, the flow found in purpose, and what can be accomplished with patience over time. After I moved into the cabin, the empty nest wasn't quite real to me yet. I had dropped Jake off on campus, but Dane was still at home for another week. We still ate our favorite meals, watched our favorite shows and played cards. We still walked the dog together. When it was time to move Dane to college, we loaded my old Subaru with new bedding and his clothes and our dog, and we took a road trip to Bozeman, Montana. I recorded a few audio diary entries, trying to capture this milestone for the first and last time. Do you mind if I do an audio diary oh, while we're on? How are you feeling? I'm nervous. Yeah. But we'll get it done. Good. It's gonna be quite the adventure. <sighs> Ready? Let's rock and roll. Let's do it. When we arrived on campus, I tried to arrange Dane's room like he was a child. He stood his ground and gently said, Mom, you're stepping on my toes. Please stop. I cried because I didn't want this to be his last memory of me. I cried because he didn't need me anymore. They didn't need me anymore. The dog wagged his tail and licked Dane's salty tears as his boy scratched him behind the ears one last time. Dane and I hugged hard, and I drove away, watching my man-sized son, the tiny baby who had once struggled to breathe, disappear in the rearview mirror. The baby I didn't get to hold. The lives of my sons were out of my hands, and I tried to put on a brave face. So it's Saturday the 24th of August, and I just uh, dropped off Dane. He got his textbooks. He's going to get his dorm room all organized today. I've got the car all loaded up, and I'm heading back to Colorado. So. But that stiff upper lip didn't last long. It's really weird having an empty car it wasn't as hard when I dropped off Jake because I know he's uh, he's only an hour away and and it still hadn't really sunk in yet but today when I dropped off Dave, I have to stop. 
Today it really hit me. This <laughs> is really hit me right now. Moving forward has been bittersweet. It's the end of an era, but it's the beginning of the second half of my life. It's living alone but it's giving myself the quiet space I need to be creative. It's the loss of identity as mother with kids at home, but it's claiming my identity as author who writes in a little house in the big woods. Twins or not, life is intense. That's just the way it is. And as life-changing as this next chapter is for me, it's the same for each of my boys. The unknown is ahead of us all. Yet here I am again with no roadmap. Just confusing signs, crossroads, so many options to choose from, and knowing I have zero excuses to stay small and stuck. I can look at these empty nest years as scary or as exciting, as loss or as finding myself. It's up to me. The words of poet Mary Oliver strike a chord. Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? If there's one thing my twins have taught me, it's that we each get one wild and precious life and we've got to savor it because once it's gone, it's gone. So I rolled the dice, double or nothing, betting on myself. And I bought that cabin I always dreamed of where I could wake up to the smell of sage and pine trees, follow new trails out of curiosity Send my stories down bold rivers and out into the world. Last month, curled up cozy by the fire, I began rereading the Little House books. I also dusted off another forgotten book on the shelf, my unfinished manuscript. I started working on it again, giving my story the full attention it deserves. When our kids leave home, it's not just them flying from the nest, testing their wings. As parents, we're fledging in our own way too. I love my sons, and I'm not a bad mom for also loving my independence. 
just as I ring the cowbell for Jake and Dane as unique and amazing human beings, each separate and precious from his brother, I will ring it for me, a unique and amazing human being separate from my children. In September, I drove from my cabin to one of my favorite local trailheads and hiked by myself to the edge of the wilderness boundary. Small trout were rising in the clear alpine lakes. The last of the summer wildflowers were in bloom and two lanky adolescent moose grazed in the meadow, no mother in sight. They looked healthy. I walked on by, just watching and giving them plenty of space, hoping they will make it through their first winter on their own, hoping I will make it through too, confident we can. That was Becky Jensen. She's a writer, and she lives in a little cabin in the mountains of Colorado. Just as a quick reminder, you can find our end-of-year listening recommendations at our website, outtherepodcast.com. Just click on our blog for the full list. A huge thank you to all of our patrons who support Out There on a monthly basis. We couldn't be making this show without you, and we are so grateful for your vote of confidence. If you're interested in becoming a patron and doing your part to support quality independent storytelling, just head over to patreon.com slash outthere. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash outthere. We've got lots of great rewards at different pledge levels. And best of all, you'll get that warm, fuzzy feeling inside that comes from committing an act of generosity. I also wanted to take a moment to thank all of my team members at Out There. Alex Eggerking is our strategic advisor. Jessica Taylor is our advertising manager. Laura Johnston heads up our ambassador program. And our current crew of ambassadors includes Stacia Bennett, Ashley White, Tiffany Duong, and Ali Shin. Thank you all for everything you do. And finally, I wanted to give a shout out to a few unsung heroes. These are people who you don't normally hear about in the credits, but who are integral to the success of the show. Thank you to my dear friends Jess Gross and Amy Streeter for their constant encouragement during some very difficult times. Thank you to Monica Goki for editing the first draft of an intensely personal story that I thought I wanted to write but then chickened out on. And thank you to Sarah Fox for asking a simple question about my artistic vision, which led to some serious soul-searching and has helped pull me out of a creative rut. That's it for this episode. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2020. And in the meantime, have a beautiful day. Be bold. Go outside. 
and find your dreams.